Hello everybody and welcome to Sound of Play. Every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our, and your, favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. And joining me in Sound of Play 121 is composer Peter Silk. Welcome to Kane and Rinse Sound of Play, Peter. Hello, thanks very much for welcoming me onto this show. Uh, you're welcome to be welcomed on this <laughs> show. Uh, now we've got all the niceties out of the way. Uh, so, Peter, for some reason I had it in my head you were American until earlier today, even though I think you'd probably already told me at least once that you weren't. Uh, so just a bit of uh, uh, background. Uh, where, where are you from? Who are you? And do you prefer Peter or, or, or the shortened version? <laughs> uh, both are fine. Uh, people call me both. Whichever is you're most comfortable with is fine by me. Well, we could save we could save several seconds by chopping that second syllable off. Uh, oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Efficiency. I might go with Pete. Okay, that's uh, that's absolutely fine. Uh, yeah, so I'm <laughs> uh, I'm from London. I um, have been writing music for a very long time. I, I'm 35 years old, and I've been writing it probably since I was about uh, 10 years old, starting off on on the Amiga. And, a prodigy. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I started very young. I won't say that I was immensely talented when I started out, but I've had a lot of practice since then. And um, uh, and it's just recently, um, well, in the last several years, I started writing games for my uh, own games project that I make with a, a yeah. friend, uh, sort mm. of under the moniker Surprised Man. And, and we've... Uh, had a couple of things, a little minor free games out, and we're working on one at the moment as well. Um, and more recently, I've decided to sort of branch out into uh, offering those services to other people to write music uh, for them as well. Most and excellent. Uh, very recently, in the last couple of months, I've actually made a slight career change so that enables me to basically work on this part-time as well as my uh, regular job. Yes, yes, uh, in a similar boat myself, and uh, yeah, uh, exciting, rewarding times, but also a little bit scary, no doubt. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. But um, so we've we've uh, as as I think you know, we've featured on on this show um, some pretty high profile composers who have been doing it full time, some industry veterans. We've also featured some uh, some folks who just wanted to uh, use this as a as a, a platform to get their music out there, um, which I guess is is partly true for yourself as well. But actually, you're in this kind of intermediary state where you're not a, a complete up and coming newcomer. You've had you've you've had and you've got some projects 
in tandem coming along with games you've had some things that's been you, you've had some music that's been out there in the public eye um, but perhaps you know you're looking to increase your portfolio and, and get some more get some more contracts and, and get to compose for some more games yes I've had a few things in the past and I've got a couple of things that are sort of imminently ready to uh, release they're getting finished at the moment um, but yeah I am definitely in the at the point of really wanting to branch out a bit get more different kinds kinds of projects and uh, all of that sort of thing yes excellent well i hope i hope we can help i don't know how how much uh, success people have had uh, from coming on here before but uh, but apart from anything else it means we get to hear some fresh and interesting music and uh, one of the first things that uh, struck me about uh, the pieces you've elected to share and i and obviously you've chosen which pieces so i assume this is somewhat by design but um they're quite a, an eclectic spread of of styles and genres you're capable of composing in uh, yeah, so I, I work in various different styles. Um, I think that the common thread that goes throughout them is that I would describe myself as quite a melody-driven composer. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I uh, like to compose things that people will maybe be humming uh, after they've heard them. Uh, I like to compose things that sound uh, melodies that sound like they've been around for a while. Um, yeah. and uh, very recognisable and, and, and prominent. Uh, you know, I can work a bit in the background as well if that's what's needed. But uh, but yes, I definitely feel like I'm a melody-driven composer, but I do work in different styles. So we had orchestral, and there'll be a bit of chip-tune-style stuff coming up, and there'll be uh, things that are somewhere in between those two things. And uh, uh, I, I like working in all sorts of different styles and trying new things as well. So tell us about the track that opened the show uh, for this sound of play. It's called The Beginning, appropriately enough. Not from a game, but a, a piece that you like, you're proud of. Yeah, so this one, this particular one was just a, it was a piece I was using to kind of stretch my legs a bit with some new... Um, uh, some new sample sets that I'd bought, and right. uh, but I was quite pleased with it and decided to try and showcase it a little bit. Um, and I did. I imagined the, the start of a journey, uh, the bit where you might be a little bit reluctant to move forward, but also you're excited about the possibilities of of what's to come. So there's a little bit of danger there, but it's mostly kind of an adventurous sort of piece um, and kind of hopeful and optimistic. So uh, this is probably a, a really fatuous, facile question, um, and, I, and I've probably put it to other composers as well, but as as to me, as somebody who loves music and has been surrounded by musical people but doesn't have the first concept of how to actually write music, uh, when you're you're trying to come up with that melody that you're talking about, people you know getting stuck in their head an earworm or whatever, does do you not have the 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 crashing doubt when you come up with a tune that it's been it's always going to have been done before? How how do you <laughs> confidently sort of put it out there and say? Nope, this is my tune, and uh, the way that it's done is is unique to me. And um, I mean, obviously, you can't possibly check every every source of music to to know that a particular tune hasn't been done before. But um, yeah, how, how does all that work for you? Uh, yes, well, there is some doubt sometimes. Sometimes I write something and and do genuinely think, well, you know, maybe that is from something that I've Where have heard, I heard before. that before, and. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, and I have to think for a minute and uh, uh, be reasonably certain that I'm not just directly cribbing uh, uh, from something. But um, but on the other hand, there's so much music out there, there are so many melodies that there's bound to be something out there somewhere that sounds quite similar to, uh, to what you've done, especially if you're working in sort of a kind of Western tonal tradition <laughs> yeah. and uh, not straying too far from that. Uh, so uh, you can't worry too much about that as long as you're not consciously just uh, nicking melodies from various places and all that sort of yes. thing. So yeah, what are some of your influences then? Um, we're going to hear, obviously, uh, you've selected uh, some pieces for us to listen to. Are these all are these pieces that influenced you or, or just ones that you liked? Uh, the both, really, but uh, I, I wanted to... Uh, choose pieces which in some sense did influence me in some way um, and um, uh, there's a variety in there as well and it kind of uh, goes through a range of styles kind of like my yeah. ones do as well uh, but they all have th th there's always something about each one which has been mm. an influence on me yeah 
Okay, well, let's start then with uh, this one. You would have only been five years old when this game came out, although I suppose you may have come to it a little later if, if you had a, a Nintendo Entertainment System as a child. Uh, yes, uh, I, I did. did. Uh, I, and I was a little bit older when I came to this game, uh, but I, at the time I had no idea how old the games I was playing were. No, they just sort of, of came, came to me as gifts mostly from my parents. And yes. uh, this one I hadn't even heard before. Uh, I'd heard of before I got it. It wasn't a mm. game that was sort of on on my wish list of things that I wanted to play um, but um, I chose this one because it was the, it was a really early memory of being aware of music not just as a kind of block of sound that was coming into my ears but a a set of individual lines of music which uh, kind of intertwined and came together to produce something that was bigger than the sum of its parts um particularly in the way in this one that the bass line plays with the uh, uh plays with the melody and that sort of thing and that concept is something that i have brought with me through all my compositions where i want every line every through line of the piece to make sense on its own and then mm -hmm. uh, interact with each other in interesting ways lovely all right let's hear it this is jun jikuma from faxanadu with eolis I may have pronounced everything to do with that song wrong, but uh, Jun Chikuma, I think, is right. Eolis? Aeolis? I'm not entirely sure. I'm not sure any, either. Any thoughts, Peter? Uh, uh, Faxanadu or Fazanadu? <laughs> I've always said it as Faxanadu. But, I've always said it as Faxanadu as well. Okay. Um, it's, a, it's quite an obscure game. Like, um, Obviously, uh, I, I know my Hudson Soft, I know my games, but this is one that uh, it did come out on Famicom and the NES and uh, did get a Wii Virtual Console release, but uh, I don't think it's one that necessarily people immediately think of Goodness me! I must, I must get a, a copy of Faxanadu. What do you remember? What, what are your memories of the actual game as well as the music? Anything good? Uh, I remember the the game having a very, very strange atmosphere, especially compared with a lot of the games that I was playing. Because I, I was playing a lot of yeah. things like the uh, the Mario games, and Mega Man Two was a big one that I used to play. Big influence on on my music as well as that one. Uh, but uh, this one was very kind of it the atmosphere is very oppressive and very very brown as well uh, as a game in in, yeah. a, in an era where that wasn't the normal thing really to have a very kind of muted brown pa palette so it was very interesting at the time 
I suppose mm. it's. Uh, I guess it was. Yeah, it was influenced by uh, by Castlevania and uh, and yes. possibly. Um, well, it came out actually around the same time, if not slightly earlier than Zelda Two. But uh, it was in that sort of uh, side-scrolling, uh, dungeony, crawling, hacky, slashy kind of uh, place. But yeah, no, it's probably a bit of a, a lost gem in some ways. Yeah, um, I yeah. mean, I, I was terrible at it, so I. I, I bet I it was probably rock hard. Only, it was only heard this track and probably a couple yeah. more others. Anyway, but I used to. I was terrible at all the games at that time, and I did used to play them a little bit like a jukebox, where I'd like, okay, which soundtracks do I want to listen to today? And uh, like yeah, Mega Man yeah. Two, which I mentioned before, was was yes. perfect for that because it just had the level select at the beginning, and I was like, oh, I'd I'd, I'd like to listen to the Airman music today, and then I'd just uh, select the level and have a listen to it and be bad at the actual playing of the game of course that's mm. actually that's interesting actually because we're, we're about to record our Mega Man 1 and 2 podcast very soon and uh, that's actually an, an interesting point I wonder if because um, I'm I'm a very real latecomer to Mega Man uh, the whole series really uh, the first one I played was 9 so um, it'll be interesting to hear from uh, Sean who's on that one uh, our Sean O'Brien who uh, who was the you know the, the standard American kid playing Mega Man on his super uh, on his Nintendo I should say entertainment system so yeah that might have been part of it yeah the idea of um being able to not yeah not necessarily be stuck with the same musical loop every time you play because you've got all however many eight levels or whatever it was from from the start I'm currently battling my way through through Mega Man 1 which is notoriously considerably difficult more difficult than the second game um fortunately the the recent and relatively recent anniversary collection allows for save scumming so uh, <laughs> that will that will mean that I get through the game by by cheating basically but uh, it's either that or probably never never see all of it so yes I don't blame you at all with that one yeah i'm gonna see if i can i'm gonna see if i can do as much as possible like maybe saving at the start of levels and then seeing if i can get through the level but you know obviously just not necessarily wanting to sit and do the entire game in in a session every time because because life and 2017 and 45 years old and all that stuff so (laughs) yeah so uh, next one, I'm interested in this because um, we had an interview with uh, Christos Reed some years ago as a, a little podcast extra. Our James uh, spoke to uh, the man who is known as Fail Nought, um, for uh, to talk to him about his development work. Um, came across a very interesting, intelligent, thoughtful guy. And you're collaborating with him uh, in to whatever extent you can perhaps explain, um, but you're certainly doing the music for this as yet unreleased role-playing game of his. Yes, so we uh, we aren't really talking very much about it at the moment, and it, sure. it is uh, it is his project, uh, and but he has given me permission to yes. share some of the uh, the early music that I've been working on for it, and uh, I Great. think. I think people are really going to be interested in it when we can start talking about it a bit more. But uh, uh, as for this track, um, it's uh, yeah, it's for an RPG and it's for a location which, um, without going too much into it, it it's a place that feels a little bit wrong. And so I've got some <laughs> glitches in there and uh, some unusual sounds. Uh, the the overall soundtrack, yeah. it's it's sort of a Super Nintendo in inspired set of sounds but kind of also super nintendo with guest appearances from various other consoles so i've got some Gen- uh, sega genesis mega drive yes. bell kind of sounds going in there as well and also some uh nes uh chip tunes elements in 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 the mix as well so i want to kind of bring in those elements to it but overall it's a kind of 16-bit style palette that i'm working with sort of mashup yeah. yeah, I noticed that. And I also had that thing where I was playing it from Google Drive or whatever. Uh, so in presumably in an MP3 format, whatever you kindly uploaded for us. And uh, and it and it's got some odd sort of glitches and, and timing quirks and things in it. And it was that thing where I was thinking, is my internet playing up? But it's actually, <laughs> it's all by design, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I wanted, uh, I used some random elements in that. So not all of those glitches are entirely planned. I, uh, uh-huh. I, I had, uh, I, I wanted to create something something which sounded just a little bit wrong also to me as well because I hadn't planned it out um, right. but uh, still has that kind of central core of melody uh, that keeps everything um, tied together. Excellent well let's hear it this is appropriately enough called The Unsettlement your ears are not deceiving you uh, and your iPod or other musical device is not failing you. This is uh, by I guess Peter Silk Thank you. 
So that's the unsettlement from the as yet unreleased, sort of to be announced when, uh, Christos Reed Failnaught RPG. Uh, all we can say is that that will be coming out on personal computers. Uh, I guess it'll be on Steam and uh, and other things to be confirmed. Good stuff. Yeah, it's it's a little way off. I would say that one. So so sure. I would say follow uh, follow the guy on Twitter and maybe uh, wait for more news on that one. Don't literally hold your breath when waiting for a video game. All right, so uh, here with our guest Peter Silk, who's a composer, as we've just heard, uh, but also because he's a composer, we also like to hear uh, the music that, from games that he loved and uh, inspired him. Now, this next piece is from a game that we've had requested to cover on our other podcast, Kane of Rinse, and do a deep dive review on this game and its predecessor. Uh, were there just the two? Was there ever a third? In I can't remember. Was there going to be a third Little Big Adventure? I feel like there was one planned, but then was eventually cancelled, but I'm not sure of that, actually. That sounds, that sounds entirely familiar, because these games... I think they were, you know, like almost by the very definition, they were kind of cult classics. And if you look at, I was looking at the publishers uh, for the games in different regions. So depending on where you bought Little Big Adventure to, it was either published by EA or Activision or Virgin. So these were not like, this was not some, although a uh, French company, uh, Adeline or Adeline, um, made it. This was not some, you know, trifling obscurity. This was a this this was this had a proper following. The the LBA Twinson and that. Yes, it did have a different name. I think depending on where you bought it as well. So, I think Twinson's it, Odyssey was the yeah yeah that was Is it that right in for the it, second one in America. I think it was Twinson's Odyssey. Yes, and I think uh, over here it was just Little Big Adventure two, and that might have been the subtitle. I always had the version that was called Twinson's Odyssey because I think I'd uh, picked up a foreign yeah. version in some sort of computer fair or something. Uh, so I uh, I always knew it as Twinson's Odyssey. Yeah, and the original we generally knew it as Little Big Adventure or LBA, but it yeah. was also known as Relentless. That's right. Colon Twinson's Adventure. So yeah, um, slight identity crisis. But yeah, so these were nineties. Um, what would you call it in in the modern? So there's sort of. It's like a it's a arcade adventure. Graf it's not a graphic adventure in the sense of like a point and click, but it's a it's a game. It's a character driven game where you're kind of negotiating and puzzling your way through levels. Yeah, it's it's a odd beast, really. It's uh, it's got quite strange uh, quite strange gameplay where you're running around on a uh, a three D uh, plane and you have to solve different puzzles. Some of them are a little bit adventure gamey. Um, some yeah. of them. Uh, are more to do with uh, skill at throwing a ball around a weird magic ball and some mm. of them are probably the worst ones to be honest are to do with jumping because there's, oh, a, yeah. there's a very sort of floaty platforming in in that game that is does not always behave how how you might expect it to yeah 2d uh forced isometric perspective uh, very rarely the 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 greatest uh way to to platform i'm thinking about uh games like landstalker on the mega drive and, and uh, yes. dark savior on the saturn it was it's it's very hard to uh, to find your space also head over heels and things like that but uh i'm just looking as as we record uh, both both of these games are available on goodoldgames.com uh, for uh you know a, a trifling a relatively trifling amount of money so uh that means that if you're interested in playing them folks uh they are out there to buy and it does mean that we can potentially cover them someday on the podcast uh, but back to matters in hand this track honeybee what is it about this one that uh, you recall fondly um it goes a little bit back to what I was talking about earlier as the idea of uh, music as a set of individual parts that work on their own and then come together to build into uh, build into a whole. And that's something that I really got from this uh, uh, track as well. Uh, but also just generally the playfulness of the track, the, the kind of little mischievous um, tunes that... Um, make it up uh, as something that really influenced me later. And it's actually one of the, I, I used to study these uh, bits of music by uh, basically listening to them and trying to recreate them in MIDI form during the nineties. Um, right. Uh, and sort of meticulously try and listen to it and get a note for note recreation of the music on my own uh, MIDI hardware. And this was one of the ones that I remember going through all the way through and uh, uh, and recreating in that fashion. So uh, mm. I didn't really see it as kind of studying them at the time, but uh, in hindsight, I can 
I, I really do think of that as uh, taking the pieces apart and just kind of uh, I had to analyse them a bit in order to put them back together. Curious, interesting. All right, let's hear it. This is by a Philippe Vashi from Little Big Adventure Two, and it's called Honeybee. So that's from Twinson's second adventure, LBA2, uh, back in uh, 20 years ago, 1997. So we've missed that particular anniversary. Perhaps we'll look at it again in five years' time. Honeybee by Philippe Vachy. So uh, you started making music on the Amiga. Uh, and uh, regular listeners to this show will know that uh, me and Carl and, and some of our, our guests uh, are big fans of that sort of era of music making in computers obviously i love the you know i love the sid chip before it and uh, and everything that's come after but um, but amiga was an exciting time because you could suddenly play these pretty authentic sounding synth tracks um so is that, that's where you cut your teeth yeah i i used to i, I had a program called pro tracker which is quite well known mm-hmm. um yeah and i didn't really know how to use it properly um I was very young, and at the time I wasn't particularly technically adept, and uh, so I, I, all I really knew how to do was mm. to take existing tunes and then just get rid of all the notes that existed and replace them with my own, so I wouldn't uh, oh, I play with samples of my own or anything or put together different sounds from different pieces or, or source my own samples. I'd just go, oh, I like the sounds that are in this tune that I found right. somewhere, uh, so I'll just take, uh, I'll just delete everything in there and just make my own music with the with this set of sounds uh, and that's how i first started with the uh, with music 
That's really cool and, and a creative solution. Uh, so I, I assume you ended up with pieces that sort of sounded reminiscent of the likes of Chris Yulesbeck or, uh, well, who who knows, there's so many 16-bit composers, uh, Alistair Brimble or whoever else, but actually with your own with your own melodies. Uh, yeah, Chris Hulesbeck was definitely a, a, a influence of mine. Actually, I would say that even though it's not using the same sort of sounds necessarily that's probably a bit of an influence on the on the next one that we're gonna <laughs> yeah so when blobs attack is the name of the piece um but uh it's from uh, a game called we're, we're allowed to say this one yes, right yes that's right okay good acorn tactics uh is that an acronym it's in capitals uh, it is an acronym, and they play with that a bit in the game, but I won't spoil it. <laughs> okay. Mm. Uh, so this is from a studio called Tax Games, uh, T-A-C-S, we yes. say. And this is coming to the Switch, yes. the hot and happening hybrid uh, console that everybody seems to love right now. Um, rightly so, because it's a, a lovely piece of kit. Uh, so, I mean, obviously, I suppose it doesn't make that much difference to you which formats you're developing music for, but I suppose it's nice to know that this is likely to... Um, get heard a lot by by a decent number of people it's it's actually really nice for me this one because it uh, it it sort of brings everything full circle so uh, the nes was one of the first systems as we talked about earlier where i was becoming really aware of the music mm. uh but also in this soundtrack i uh use some nes sounds um and uh blend uh, i have two for the in the levels i it's a turn-based strategy kind of game uh -huh. uh, and in, in the levels, I have uh, two mixes of uh, every uh, every tune, so that it goes from a sort of bleepy bloopy eight bit style um, with some yeah. embellishments uh, when uh, when we're, the enemies are attacking, and then moves back to a kind of more heroic orchestral style again with some chip tune bits uh, mixed in there when mm. it's back to your turn again. And so it's really nice to be able to be on the latest Nintendo console, but also using some of those sounds that inspired me from so long ago. Have you been, uh, are you already on the Mario Odyssey bandwagon? I uh, am. At the time of good. So <laughs> yeah. at the time of recording, it's been out uh, a week or so. Uh, I was lucky enough to get it a couple of days early. I'm 500 something moons in. Um, you must be really enjoying the uh, the music in that game, just generally, but also the uh, segueing from uh, uh, from the the lush orchestrations and, and full band music to the to the eight bit style chip tunes. That's very much in your wheelhouse. Uh, yes, actually, uh, it was really nice to hear that because I was listening to that happening and thinking, oh, I'd sort of do that similar thing in this soundtrack that I've just uh, just sort of finished making for Acorn Tactics. So it was uh, it was really fun to d discover that. Uh, the uh, other I know there are a few other soundtracks that do a similar thing. One that comes yeah. to mind is uh, Near Automata recently, mm. um, which um, there was some inspiration from that soundtrack for this as well. Some of the use of the uh, church organ and that sort of thing uh, definitely um, uh, definitely came from that as a kind of inspiration. All right, so well, let's hear When Blobs Attack, and this is coming to a switch near you early next year.
So that's from the forthcoming Switch game, Q1 to 2018. So it could be up to five months away, but uh, but not that far in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I'm not sure actually when when this one is. At the moment, it's uh, it's being uh, busily ported over to Switch. I think it's basically finished, but it's just going through its final stages. Uh, and then I imagine a release date will be announced for that quite soon. And it involves uh, squirrels and nuts and turn-based combat i'm guessing uh it's uh it, it, they i think the characters in it look a little bit like acorns um but it's mainly to do with uh, uh mech kind of style robots and alien oh. blobs which is uh, the alien blobs element is where you got a bit of a theremin style instrument coming into that last track as well it has to be done you, yeah. you've got to yeah you got to get the theremins out for for the aliens it's it's been the law since whatever 1951 or something like of course that. i love to do it and i've got a little bit in the next one as well actually now that i think of it for the good, same good, reason good. Can't have too much. Uh, we're always after more saxophones and, and theremins. Um, yeah. So does that uh, our next our next track from that you've chosen for us is uh, from a, a soundtrack we featured a number of times and deservedly so from Shadow of the Colossus. Does this reflect your gaming taste? Of you, are you a broad lover of many genres, or do you tend to settle on these kind of perhaps more um, poignant uh, or you know? Uh, atmospheric games or will he play you know just about anything that's fun I'll I'll, I'll play just about any, anything really I, I do particularly love this game uh, it's uh, it is one of my all time favourites and uh, music is a um music is a big part of that I would say I mm. uh, since for as long as I remember having uh, an excellent soundtrack has been able to forgive a lot of other faults with games that I love. Uh, I'm the same, yeah. And, and so this one, I, I think uh, actually I get on with the controls and things um, better than most people, I think, but uh, they are kind of fiddly. I'm interested to know how the remake will handle those. Um, I was going to ask you about that because uh, our Josh, who is a massive uh, Shadow of the Colossus fan, we covered uh, listeners uh, both uh, Team Eco games as there were only two back when we did issue four of the Cane and Rinse podcast in October 2011. Uh, so our Shadow of the Colossus discussion is on there. But Josh uh, is expressing some serious misgivings about this game being remade. Now, I have mixed feelings. Um, I, I enjoyed the original and I see how important it is and how special it is to a lot of people. But I think there were things that could be uh, it sort of improved upon in terms of controls and interface. Um, and I also I trust Bluepoint because of the work they've done as a fantastic studio of, uh, you know, bringing HD versions of existing games. So mm. but on the at the same time, and obviously they're working in conjunction with Sony Japan Studio, yeah. but at the same time, this is now no longer the property of Fumito Ueda and Team Eco. So by its very nature, it is a. It's not the same. It's like it's it's a remake, but it has it. It doesn't have the the actual DNA of the original game. So, are you looking forward to it? Do you think it's? Do you suspect it's gonna it's gonna work, or would you just be a purist about it and, and stick with your beloved original? I understand the wariness, um, and I think it is a little bit of an alarm bell, maybe that uh, uh, that the original uh, creator, the original person that envisioned it, isn't involved. Uh, but mm. I am. I'm just happy that more people are going to get to be able to play the game because it's it's quite difficult to do at the moment. I mean, I know there was a release on uh, uh, PlayStation Three, I think, yeah, but yeah. Uh, in current generation, it's very difficult to play. And yep. uh, I, I'm just glad that more people will get to play it. To be honest, it looks so far what we've seen. There's recently been a trailer. I think um, uh, yeah. has been uh, it has placed an emphasis on the quiet moments of the game which i think is encouraging mm. because i think those moments mm. in the game are really important and really what makes it stand out and actually one of the reasons that i chose the uh, the track that i chose today is because a lot of the time when you think about the music for shadow of the colossus you think about the big kind of bombastic mm. uh, battle themes which are excellent um but I think it's also really good in its quieter moments, and in this one particular, a more kind of menacing moment where something sinister just under the surface.
Creeping Shadow by Ko Otani from Shadow of the Colossus, one of the quieter uh, and more brooding moments of that game. Uh, I assume they're just untouching, leaving it untouched, I should say, the soundtrack for the remake. Um, I suppose you could argue that it would be no more uh, sacrilegious to to do something with the music um, than it would be to remake the entire game. But then I think to a lot of people, it would be it would be heresy to, to mess with that with that particular OST. I think they are definitely using the same music in the trailers so far, yes. and it, it seems like something that was just so well recorded and just so well put together in the first place that I yeah. can really not see any good compelling reason to, to no. d- d- do over that one. Or, or re-record it yeah. even or anything. No, I mean, it was this was all done in the... I mean, it was done in 2005 originally or, or thereabouts, so... Um, technology hasn't moved on so sufficiently. It's not like they're dealing with an old wax cylinder recording or something like that that they need to remaster. This is available far and wide in beautiful, pristine digital audio. So, Yes, perhaps yeah. they'll just play with just cleaning up some of the transitions between different tracks and that sort of um, thing. Because yeah, I do yeah. remember that sometimes there were moments in the game where things would move mm. from one track to another quite abruptly, and that could be quite jarring on occasions. But uh, the actual music itself, I... I have to say, I would prefer if they left that quite alone. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you uh, you will be echoing the thoughts of of many there. So next up, we have another track from yourself. This is my guest, Peter Silk, composer, uh, and this was for a uh, festival or exhibition game um, called Mimic. Tell us more about uh, this uh, piece and what it, what it's from. Yes, so uh, this is a piece that was written for, as you say, it, it never had a full release to PC, but it was put around various uh, exhibitions and festivals and things uh, and uh, uh, and shown off there. And the idea of the game uh, was that you'd be an alien hiding in a crowd and you'd have to spot which of the other players, it was multiplayer, were the aliens uh, and uh. Uh, uh, and kind of zap them uh, to identify them. Um, right. So it's, there's a game called Hidden in Plain Sight, which is a similar concept. And there's also one on um, the Made in Wario collection for Wii U, which has a similar concept. But it's always a winner, that that idea with, with multiplayer, for sure. Yes, I really enjoyed the kind of very elaborate version of that in, the, in one of the Assassin's Creed games as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, and uh, it it appealed to me, and again we've got aliens, so again we've got uh, we've got a little bit of theremin in Wind there. Wind up the theremin slightly yeah. more subtle in this one, I would say. Uh, but uh, the I would say the original inspiration for this track, I I don't know why this occurred to me, but the thing that occurred to me was that scene in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade where they're on the mm. uh, on the airship and. Uh, the the Nazis come on board and mm. uh, and Indiana Jones is hiding out as a ticket inspector and mm-hmm. uh, just asking everyone for their tickets and then uh, famously throws the kind of kind of head Nazi out of the window and then says no ticket and everyone panics to get their tickets and uh, in the background of that uh, that scene where he is uh, hiding in plain sight you've got this kind of little playful staccato melody that's uh, that's playing and uh, that was what sort of gave me the initial impetus for this uh, uh, for this piece, uh, and I wanted to come up with a kind of similar kind of mood, and then embellish it with some stranger, more alien sort of sounds. <laughs> Thank you. 
That's Mistaken Identity by our guest Peter Silk, uh, influenced there by John Williams and uh, pretty much every composer we ever have on has at least one track or something that they've done that's been influenced by influenced by John Williams. Um, as as he continues to uh, you know move into his eighties, uh, I I worry. I genuinely worry. Like when he's not going to be around anymore. <laughs> it's yes. it's going to be you know like he has in so many ways composed the soundtrack to huge chunks of our lives and uh, I know some people I remember having discussions as a kid and I just thought his music was incredible when I was even when I was you know like five years old and I've never not loved it Um, but I remember some some of my family who were perhaps more um, more into their 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 true classical uh, were a little bit snobby about John Williams' music saying it was very kind of you know it was kind of obvious and heavy handed Mm. Um, but I don't care. It's so like <laughs> I can't. I don't understand how one man has managed to come up with so many themes that are so memorable. Because there are lots of uh, you know really um, you know more than competent film composers working today, but it's really hard to come up with a, a genuinely striking theme for a, a film. And I know we've moved away generally, or the, the cinema and games actually to an extent have moved away from these really overt melodic theme tunes. Yes. But I think it's kind of a shame um, when when you do get one that, that actually has a recurring theme. I think Michael Giacchino did one for... Uh, uh, Star Trek. I was thinking of that actually, as you were saying that. Yeah, yeah. it's but it's rare, isn't it? And and like I don't think necessarily anything he did was like eclipsed what had gone before with uh, with Goldsmith and Horner as well. So mm. it's I mean again, it's, it kind of comes round to the conversation we were having earlier about trying to compose new melodies. But yeah, like uh, there there were a couple of pieces in Force Awakens that. I thought were you know almost up with 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 some of John Williams kind of classic era stuff. Um, yeah, actually, I thought it was quietly a very strong soundtrack. It what it's yeah. not it's not very um, uh, in comparison with some of the themes that you get in the old, older Star Wars. It's not particularly kind of yeah. uh, upfront and bombastic. But when you mm. when you listen to it a few times, there's actually some really really strong melodic material in that. And I do like like you, I I do really love those big bold adventure soundtracks from mm. the 80s and uh, and 90s and they, and they do inform a lot of what I what I do as well and I do miss that not so much of that exists uh, now like you I think that the approach that is popular now is is valid as well perfectly so yeah, sort uh, of mood and yeah. and atmosphere uh, driven and and yeah but it's it's not really so much what i uh i in i enjoy or what i like to work in i suppose i i really do mm. want to uh make things that people will uh find really memorable and will will have in their head <laughs> well speaking of which uh this there's a connection here because we're talking john williams obviously he worked with lucas uh on many occasions and and spielberg his friend of course uh this is a lucas arts game the composer we we talked about uh with um with uh, recent guest george sanger and and on our recent uh, grim fandango podcast which was issue 291 of kane and rinse uh what an outstanding score Peter McConnell came up with for this really very odd uh, when you think about it Mexican Day of the Dead meets uh, 30s noir art deco adventure yes uh, he had a really broad palette there to work with I would say and really took advantage of that and I knew I knew that I wanted to include some music from one of those old uh, LucasArts adventure games. Uh, I was playing them since the original uh, Monkey Island game. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, back on the Amiga, I first yeah. listened to those. Uh, and uh, those were a big influence me, uh, on me as well. The three main uh, composers there, Michael Land, Peter McConnell, and uh, Clint Bajakian. Mm-hmm. Um were huge influence uh, on how I think of melodies, particularly the 
Um, not to get too technical, but the, the, the I, I would say my favorite thing is, uh, in music is uh, semitones, so just the smallest movement in music, apart from if you're talking about microtones or something like that. But right. uh, I really enjoy how just the, the smallest bit of melodic movement can have a profound effect on the uh, overall sound. Um, and there's a bit of that in, in, in this piece as well. Um, I, I know that... Um, uh, Peter McConnell likes to play with that kind of melody where you have these little, uh, what's called chromatic when you're using a lot of semitone slides downward and things like that. And I I like Mm. to play with that myself. Uh, But just in general, I I, I was thinking, okay, what piece should I choose? Uh, And I I decided on Grim Fandango in the end. And out of that, I was thinking, well, maybe I should just go off the beaten track a bit and go towards one of the less jazzy tunes and... uh, towards one of the more kind of orchestral moments in the game. Mm. Uh, and uh, But then, in the end, I decided, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm probably going to be talking a lot about melody today, so why don't I just pick one of the most beautiful melodies that's in the game? And so that's what I went with in the end. Yeah, so Manny Meche, this is... What, what genre would we say this is? I mean, this is a Latin uh, or Hispanic dance piece. Uh, yes. I don't know exactly what dance one would do to it. Possibly the fan... I think it's a bit slow for an actual fandango, isn't it? But I don't, I don't know, but... Uh, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what you'd, uh, you, you'd call it, but I, I did grow up uh, playing classical guitar and I did play a lot of uh-huh. these uh, kind of south american central american style tunes and this to me feels really authentic to the sort of melodies that they'd use the really uh, and and again it's a really bold melody it's you have to be invested in it it's it's really uh, uh it's really unabashed and romantic and uh, mm. it it risks it, it, it risks sounding sappy but um it's just so honest that you can't help but be swept along with it. Let's hear it. Manny Meche by Peter McConnell. from Grim Fandango, which, listeners, you should know we covered in Cana Rince 291. You can find that on the same places that you get this podcast from. And we talk about that game for a couple of hours. And, uh, yeah, uh, we do our deep dive. We talk about uh, every aspect of it, visuals, audio, gameplay, and the whole kit and caboodle. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, it's 20 years old almost now, that game. Unbelievable. Wow. Uh, yeah. 
just just coming up that way. There's also a connection to our earlier conversation because uh, you were saying about uh, the, uh, the yeah the, the the holy trinity of uh, of McConnell, Land, and, and Bajakian, and uh, as well as having George Sanger on recently, who who knows all those guys. Yes, um, I listened to that one. And I thought, oh, wow, I'm going to be on on the podcast that. Uh, George Sanger was on. That's interesting. <laughs> well, what an amazing guest. He's a he's a real character, a real genuinely lovely guy as well. Yeah. And um, the seventh guest soundtrack was another one which I really did yeah. used to pay attention to when I when I was growing up. And really, uh, I think I had I don't know how, but I had some sort of soundtrack CD that maybe accompanied the game, and I used to put that on a lot and just really uh, really listen to what uh, what he was doing with the melodies in that piece. In, in that I totally. Game. I totally missed those games, uh, Seven Guests and the Eleven Hour, but I loved the piece that he played deep from the Eleventh Hour, the final hours. That was hilarious. Yeah, I missed the Eleventh Hour actually, but uh, but I uh, I, di- I did find that piece really uh, <laughs> really great. It's 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 interesting that that uh, that that series plays between being sort of genuinely uh, creepy and then being mm. quite campy with it. Yes, yeah, there's like somewhere between um, Rocky mm. Horror and I don't know. Goodness knows what else. Uh, but yeah, amazing stuff. Um, yes, there may be something else uh, coming up with us and George in the not too distant future, listeners. So uh, look out for that. Yeah, I was going to say the, uh, the, the another connection there is that um, we mentioned Chris Eelsbeck earlier, and it was him who was uh, entrusted with coding the Amiga sound for uh, Secret of Monkey Island. So he took Michael Land's pieces and made them into Amiga tunes for the Amiga versions. Oh well, wow, I didn't know that actually. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a trivia nugget for, for you. Uh, so remember, listeners, please continue to venture over to the forum, canarince.com slash forum, or follow us on Twitter, but do that anyway, in fact, at canarince. Use the hashtag sound of play if you like. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash canarince. That's mainly where we share uh, industry news. It's pretty much our only news outlet. Uh, but if you want the news from the games industry kind of uh, curated and corroborated and disseminated, canarince uh, Facebook page is a good place to have it. Uh, your your one-stop shop for all the actually interesting uh, news uh, and some relatively interesting discussion underneath it as well um, but in this case we're asking you to remember to keep requesting your favourite tunes uh, and uh, particularly we like when you choose uh, pieces or songs from games that have a story have a personal connection to you or just stuff that you love or stuff that you think is weird and interesting and, the, and that we should hear it and for most of our shows we'll continue to include a selection and please subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. It's called Sound of Play. You're listening to it right now. If you can leave us an iTunes review or rating, that's brilliant too. Uh, you can also leave reviews and ratings in other places. They don't even have to be places you can get podcasts. You could just tell people and that would be great. Uh, we also have a Patreon. If you've enjoyed this show and you enjoy the many hours of podcasts that we make and uh, produce each week, patreon.com slash canarince and we're currently working towards a target uh, which would mean that we could make double the amount of canarince podcasts and cover twice the amount of games uh, so keep those dollars that's the minimum one dollar a month uh, coming in that's less than a chocolate bar for many 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 hours of entertainment uh, you can donate more if you want uh, so before we hear this final track that uh, I guess Peter's chosen for us, uh, which is from a game of his own design, so we'll hear a bit about that as well. Um, Peter, where can people find you on the internet and how can they get in touch if they want to, I don't know, hire you or something like that? People can get in touch with me on Twitter. I am Kestrel Pi. that's Kestrel P-I. Um, and Why? Why are you Kestrel Pie? Why am I Kestrel Pie? It's just an anagram of my name, Peter Silk. That's all it is, actually. See, I, I'm really bad at anagrams. Like, I, I always ask people, what, what, what's your Twitter name about? And they're like, well, it's an anagram. So, yeah, my, uh, I know people that would have spotted that straight away. Mm. Okay, carry on. Uh, and uh, if you want to have a look at my website, where I've got a bit more material as well, you can go to www kestrelpie.co.uk and listen to some samples there and there'll be some links to my email and things there as well if you want to get in touch directly. Well, I know we have a lot of developers who listen and uh, people in the industry and if you've been impressed with Peter's work and there's one more track to go if you're impressed with his CV, his calling card uh, don't be shy, give him a shout uh, so not only not content with making music 
uh, excellent music across multiple genres and styles, uh, you're actually making games too um, in an appallingly talented move. I mean, I say that, I haven't <laughs> played this game. It might be the worst game I've ever played, Pete. But it's not, is it? Fix, fix, bang, bang. It's a modern classic. Tell uh, us all about it. Well, yes. Tell us what you can tell us. Uh, so Fix Fix Bang Bang is a game that we've been working on for some time. Uh, we, uh, Me and my friend uh, Kieran Walsh, uh, we work under the name Surprised Man. Uh, we've mm-hmm. uh, released in the past a game called uh, The Wager, which is a game about uh, exploring islands. But this particular game is about it's a it's an asymmetric co-op game so the person on the left hand side is uh, is shooting in a vertical scrolling space shooter and the person on the right hand side is inside the ship uh, going from station to station just trying to keep everything running and working uh, as Ooh. the ship gets attacked uh, and uh, I for, for this game uh, I have created a fairly authentic uh, 8-bit style uh, chiptune soundtrack uh, using a application called Famitracker, which I think was the same one that was used to uh, make the soundtrack for Shovel Knight. Yeah, um, and, I think that's right. Uh, uh, and so it's really, uh, the, the soundtrack in this, it, it collects all of my various influences from 8-bit music and, and a little bit from later as well. I do, uh, uh, more recently I've been thinking about the influence of Chris Hulsbeck on my um, uh, on my music as well, and I think there's a bit of that in there as well. Uh, this particular piece um, that I've chosen is one of the earlier uh, pieces that I wrote in that style. Um, it's uh, a bit of credits music, basically. It's a victory, happy ending music. So I thought it would be appropriate for the for the end of this as well. Well, I like the way that you've uh, thought this through. It's it's cool. Um, so the this soundtrack, if people like it, you can actually buy it now. Is that right? Yes. Of the game? Yes. So I, I very optimistically released the soundtrack, thinking the game would be out very soon. It would follow very shortly, and then it's been about a year since I actually released the soundtrack. Now, and we're still going. Oh, wow. Uh, but uh, it's not just tunes from the game. It's a few other things from the same time that I was creating music as well. So it's um, themed around the game, but there's a bit more to it than that as well and you can I get see. it on Bandcamp. I must uh, I must invite Chris Hulsbeck on this show at some point because uh, for every uh, wonderful Japanese composer that has been mentioned where there would be uh, time zone issues and language barrier issues uh, Chris Hulsbeck's in Europe somewhere uh, I don't know actually I don't know if he's still in Germany but um, yeah if anyone hearing this knows Chris uh, we would love to have him on Sound of Play let him know. Uh, so Pete thanks for joining me and sharing your music it's been a lot of fun thank you very much for having me um i really appreciate all the effort that you put into these no problem at all uh we we just do the easy bit well i do anyway (laughs) (laughs) jay jay shout out to jay the editor who has a slightly harder job than me but uh, anyway let's uh close with all's well that ends (laughs) by peter silk until next time